Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Today we are continuing in this little brief mini-series about the Great Commission. The title of today's message is What the Great Commission Really Is. This is part two in our mini-summer series on the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. And as we concluded taking up the offering this morning, your faithful giving is just so, so important. The summertime is a busy time for ministry. When you think about camps and travel and all the things that we do, our vacation Bible school, the summertime is a very, very, very busy ministry time of the year. And with those uh, ministry opportunities or ministry expenses, we know that a lot of folks are in and out during the summer months. And so sometimes you might be thinking, I, I need to catch up on, on my giving. And then you might forget, sometimes even me, I'll think, you know, Lord, I really believe that, that you're calling me to give more. That you're calling me to give more. And, and I'll think, okay, this next week I'm going to get with Emily and we're going to talk and we're going to give more. Then you get busy and, and then Sunday morning rolls around and you think, oh my goodness, I, I forgot, God, I really felt like you were calling me to give more. So I just want to encourage you, uh, jot down a note, make it a matter of prayer. Let's be generous givers. And the scripture compels us that that, that God, He 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 rejoices in. And, and when we give joyously, a, a, a joyous, generous giver reflects the heart of God. And, and we're not compelled by law to give. But listen to me, we are compelled by love and we are compelled by grace. And when you think about it, just think with me for a moment here about how God has given to us. How God has so richly poured out His riches upon us, then our lives reflecting the heart of Christ and the Spirit who lives within us, our lives should reflect the same heart to give generously of our time, our resources, our money, whatever it is. Our hearts should reflect the heart of our Savior. So I just ask you to make your time, your stewardship, your spiritual gift that you have, um, your your monetary resource, make them matters of prayer in your life and always be asking God, how do you want to use my life? How can I give of what you've blessed me with to further your kingdom? So it's just so, so important. We just thank God so much for your faithful, generous giving of all that you do. We are so, so blessed. So thank you and also make all this a matter of prayer. Matthew chapter 28. You know, the first time I ever preached a sermon, a message in my life, I was about the age of 13. I was 13 years old. Anybody here who's 13 years old? Anyone here 13 years old? Come on, guys, we're going to let y'all preach today. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I was 13 years old. I have been uh, in some kind of preaching, teaching ministry 
uh, on and off ever since then, regularly, consistently for about 25 years. And folks, sometimes it feels like it's the first time. Now, people ask me, do you ever get nervous? Heck yes, I get nervous. Uh, I'm like, God, I'm so dependent upon you. I'm dependent upon your spirit. I'm dependent upon your power. Uh, Father, I pray that this goes well today. I pray, God, that your spirit is our teacher. And in some ways, there are many Sundays, it still feels like it's the very, very first time I've ever done it in my life. And it is a blessing. God reminds me so often, it is such a privilege and a blessing to be involved in ministry. And I'm just as dependent on Him today as I was when I was 13 years old. And I really didn't have a clue what I was doing then. So you pray for us this morning that God, His Spirit, be our teacher today. Matthew chapter 28. We're continuing in this series what the Great Commission really is. And before we get into the heart of the text in Matthew 28, beginning around verse 16, please take notes on this. Before we get into the heart of the text today, I want to remind you of three things that I think should be understood when you come to the Great Commission. Some of you are thinking, what is a Great Commission anyway? Uh, these are some of the last words of Jesus when he was sending his disciples out into the world. Uh, these were some of his last words before he'd go back to the Father. And so we understand that last words are so important. And many, 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 many times in the life of the church, if, if we come back to anything, if we, we, we feel like we've lost our way, or we don't know if we're hitting the nail on the head, if we think we're missing the mark, so many times we're just compelled to come back to these last words of Jesus because we conclude if they were so important for him to utter to his disciples then, then certainly they're still important for us to take them to heart today. It's been said that the life of the church, the church itself, it stands and it falls on these words of Christ. But there's three things that we talked about last week and you can find that message online on our YouTube channel. You can find that uh, message online. But three things real quickly that I think are core foundational truths or convictions that, that get us to this point of hearing Christ's words that we know as the Great Commission where He commissions and sends out His disciples and His followers into the world. And the first one is a fundamental conviction that the human heart is depraved. That the human heart is wicked and it is sinful. Uh, Jeremiah tells us this, that it is wicked, it is sinful, uh, it is sick, who can understand it? This was a conviction throughout Scripture that apart from faith in Christ, all the nations and all the people of the earth will perish. Apart from faith in Christ, all the nations of the earth, all the people of the earth will perish. Apart from faith in Christ, people have no hope. The other core conviction that I think we should just understand in the body of Christ is that the Holy Spirit of God, once someone gives their life to Christ, that God, through His Spirit, He regenerates or He changes the human heart. In other words, it's almost like He takes His heart, 
and puts His heart inside of us. And it, and it changes our heart. We become partakers of a divine nature. The Scripture says that we're made new in Christ, that all things become new. He changes us on the, the inside out. He changes us to the core once we give our lives to Christ. And then the change on the inside is what compels and propels change on the outside. There's another thing, I think, core conviction that we have. And that is that the heart that reflects the heart of Christ, the heart that's been changed, that was once wicked and sinful, the heart that's now changed, that now reflects the heart of Christ, is going to be broken for those who are far from God. It is to be understood that we need not ever forget that at one point in time, we ourselves were without hope. That we were lost. We were far from the heart of God. We might have been in church. We might have been raised in a Christian family. But our, our spiritual condition was dire. And apart from us having hope and faith in Christ, we would not be where we are today. We would not have the hope that we have within us. We would not have the peace. Even though life stinks sometimes, we would not have the joy, although life can be really hard. And we would not have a hope that one day all of this is going to be made right. And what a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous thing to live your life with a hope that there's a supernatural being and force that not only lives inside you, but walks with you, that gives you hope, that gives you peace, that gives you joy. And one of the greatest things is that when this life is over, not only will we spend eternity with Him and there's hope beyond the grave, but we'll be able to see those we love so dearly who are in Christ once again. What a tremendous, 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 tremendous hope we live with. And it's understood, it should be understood, that the heart that reflects the heart of Christ is going to be a heart that is broken for those who are far from God and who do not have the same hope in this life. That there are people around the world today who do not have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's over 7 billion people on this planet. And over 3 billion of those people are unreached. That means that they do not have any access or easy access or, or any opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. Over 6,000 people groups on this planet. I'm sorry, over 16,000 people groups on this planet. And 6,000 of those people groups do not have access to the gospel today. So there are people around the world and there's people in your neighborhood and there's people around you who do not have the hope in Christ that you have in your life. And my goodness. There is so much that pulls after us and buys for our affection and our attention. And we get so busy. We get so wrapped up in other things. And, and we, we have Christ 
as this divine safety net behind us in our lives, and we go through our lives without, at times, a real sensitivity or a real, a real awareness of the hopelessness that's within people all around us. But Jesus does not want to be your safety net. That's not Christianity. For those of you who are in Christ, Jesus is your life. And to walk in this world in relationship with Christ, it's to be understood that your heart and my heart is going to break for those who are far from the heart of God. So we come to the Great Commission. When we begin in verse 16, the Scripture says that the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. He invites them to come and to meet with Him. A one last uh, huddle, if you will. One last coming together. He shares His heart with them about what's ahead of them. And the Scripture says that when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. They worshipped Him. They worshipped Him. But some did what? They worshipped Him, but some were what? Some were doubtful. They were fighting back fears. They were fighting back doubt. And you know, it's so many times that even is a picture maybe of our worship or even when we come to a place like this and all the stuff of life is coming against us. Did you ever, did you, did you at any moment today find yourself fighting back any fear, fighting back any doubt, fighting back any certainty? Some of you are thinking, I'm only fighting back the hunger pains I'm getting because I'm starting to think about lunch, right? I mean, you find yourself fighting back fears and doubts and all of those things. And, and do you ever feel like, you ever feel like you're just starting out on this journey and maybe you gave your life to Christ many years ago, but today you, you still, you feel like an infant. You feel like you're just starting and, and it just seems like, man, Lord, gosh, I, I need a, a, a fresh movement. I need a new awareness of you in my life. I, I need to grow because today, just like those disciples there, I find myself at times fighting back the doubts. You ever do that? Just say that with me. At times I find myself fighting back the... At times I find myself fighting back the... At times I find myself fighting back the... At times I find myself fighting back the doubt. And I stand in need of God. Continuing to prove Himself and His faithfulness to me over and over and over and over and over again. So this is what Jesus is working with. And there's 11 of them. And some are fighting back doubt. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, and this is the army that begins this whole thing? <laughs> So if you find yourself fighting back doubt, you're, you're in pretty good company. You could be counted with these original 11 disciples. And some commentators and scholars believe that in this area, there was a many, 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 many more disciples who might have been around. It might have even heard this, maybe as many as 500. But the scripture, the text just gives us the 11. And in verse 18, 
Jesus came up and spoke to them. And, and we're getting ready to get into the heart of the Great Commission. And some people will start the Great Commission really in verse 19. I'm sorry, in verse, verse yeah, verse 19, but it really kind of begins in verse 18. This reminds me that, you know, summer's coming to an end. Summer's coming to an end. We got a few more weeks before the kids go back to school. Can you believe that football season is almost here? I mean, like within a month, football season is going to be getting started. Anybody excited that football season is getting ready to get started? Anybody excited? Boy, I am. I want you to picture with me for a second a football team. They're getting ready to take the field to play. Let's say the offense, they come out on the field, they've got the ball, and, and, and they come out onto the field, and, and the quarterback looks over to the offensive coordinator, and he signals in the play to the quarterback. The quarterback huddles with the other 10 guys on the field that make up the offense. He huddles together with them, and in that huddle, he's going to call out a what? In that huddle, he's going to call out a play. It's almost like, there's 11 here plus Jesus. That's kind of just, what a coincidence. I didn't even realize that until just now in the biblical text. There's 11 right there. Plus, G, G, well, that's pretty cool, isn't it? I, I didn't see that until right now. So the quarterback calls them together, and, and he calls out, that comes from the offensive coordinator, he signals it in, he calls out a, calls out a play. I-26, power right, jet sweep, I don't know. Uh, double cross, Z, post, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, you're thinking, Brother Allen, who are you to talk about football? I did play. I did play. I had a tremendous career in football up until the eighth grade. I almost set a record. Calway County Middle School. You're thinking if you do anything in football there, it's a record, right? But anyway, just kidding. I was almost the first person to ever return a kickoff for a touchdown. It would have been a 60-yard return. In fact, our local newspaper, the Mary Ledger and Times, put me in the paper on that. And it said, Alan Miller starts the game with a spectacular 55-yard kickoff return. I would have scored a touchdown, but I'm not kidding you. We were at Trick County. I stepped in the hole. It broke my stride, and I got tackled within the five-yard line. That is the truth. Later on that season, there would be a person who would get the first return touchdown for Calvary County Middle School. He would also, as a senior, become Mr. Football in the state of Kentucky, Robert Jones Jr., also known as Pookie, Pookie Jones. Another highlight of mine that didn't get, it got a little bit of press in the paper, a little bit of press in the paper. I played middle linebacker or outside linebacker. Sometimes I was in the middle, sometimes I was outside. Listen to me. I got 11 tackles in a game against Mayfield. 11 tackles. Go ahead, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. That's your preacher. If it comes down to it, I can tackle somebody. 
The only problem is we got beat so bad by Mayfield that the coach didn't even mention it at the next practice. He just wanted to forget completely about the game. There's this little stat line, Alan Miller, 11 tackles. Never got mentioned at all by the coach. So if you want to contact my coach, you should tell him, he should give me a call, call all the players together and make sure Pookie's there and, and say, hey, listen, he had 11 tackles versus Mayfield and nobody knows it. It's huge. But imagine. Imagine the quarterback calls the play and then the players go out and the ball is snapped. And, and let's, it's really important, right? It's important that each player not only knows the play, but also that each player understands their role in that play. If they don't know the play and they don't know their role in that play, then what's going to happen when the ball is snapped is going to be utter what? It's going to be utter chaos. So let me ask you, when the body of Christ assembles together and a play is called out, let's say it's the most important play, and this is going to be the play, the play that could win the game. It's the play, it's the most important play. What do you think is called out? What's the most important thing the body of Christ could ever, 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 ever be about? Several years ago, and I think it's biblical and, and valid, several years ago, you might have heard of the purposes of the church or the five purposes of the church. And some people would say, okay, well, here's the thing. If it's the most important play and they break the huddle, it should, a, 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 a play about worship should be called out. That worship is the most important thing. It's so, so important. Yes, it's so, so is it the most important? important thing. Somebody, some people say just evangelism. Evangelism. It's, it's the most important thing. If the church is not doing evangelism, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Some would say ministry. It's ministry. A social justice. A serving the community. Ministry. Showing the love of Christ through service. Some would say fellowship, getting together, loving on each other. Uh, true fellowship has as its heart the growth of people, the encouragement of people. Some would say, hey, it's, it's, it's fellowship. So worship, evangelism, ministry, fellowship. About five, teaching. Teaching is so important that teaching is the most important Thing the church ever does. And some say it's this. It's the great commission. But there's a good possibility that we really don't understand the great commission. So maybe we can help each other this morning. In understanding this. The Great Commission is understood in four words. Four words. One of the words is a verbal imperative. We would call this a command. 
verbal imperative is one of the four key words of the Great Commission. We would call this a command. We might even call this an action. What, what is the church called to take action on? The other three words are participles. I'm sorry, kids. I know school's going to start in a few weeks. I don't intend for this to feel like an English lesson. It's really a Greek lesson because your English doesn't always give you the layer that's behind it in the biblical text to really understand these words. You've got to see them in, in the original language, in the Greek language, as those authors, and here in this case, Matthew, as Matthew penned it. What were the words from the mouth of Jesus that he penned? A verbal command or imperative, and then three participles. So the verbal command is the action. It's what you take action on. Participles. Participles are known as verbal adjectives. In the English language, typically, participles end with what three letters? In the English language, participle, participles typically end in three letters, I-N-G, I-N-G. Like the word running, or the word cleaning, or the word walking, or the word talking. They end with I-N-G. So it's easy sometimes to identify the participle by the way that they end. And guess what? Guess what? Guess what? If we could peel back the layer and see the Greek text here, there are three participles that end the very same way, and there's one, only one verbal imperative in the Great Commission. And when you look at it in the English, it gets a little confusing because you can't see those endings. Jesus is going to lay out this for His followers. We also have as a conviction that in some form or fashion, this applies to all believers. Some people say that the Great Commission was only for the eleven. That it was only for the eleven. Some say no. In some form or fashion, it's for all of us. Maybe one of the clues is actually at the very end of it, when Jesus gives the promise that He'll be with them even to the end of the age. That's in verse 20. He says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So, so the question is that in those believers' lifetimes, if it was just for them at this point in time, the question is that in those believers' lifetimes, when they die, who will take up the mantle? Have you ever heard it said that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction? Now imagine with me for just a moment a time and a place in the future where there's no Christianity. 
And I'm not talking about Christianity in the cultural sense that sometimes is just so mamby-pansy, it, it has no edge to it, and, and it's just nominal. And it's not effective, and it's just off the coattail of somebody else in the family who's a Christian, or everybody there in the community was a Christian. So, it made, Did you know that there's parts of the world today that if you're an American, you're considered to be a Christian just because you live in America? And you and I both know that just because you live in America, and just because you go to church, and just because you were raised in a Christian family, and maybe even you might even know Scripture, and you might even know the Gospel, that does not make you a born-again follower of Christ. So can you imagine with me for a moment a day and a time, and some of you might say, well, the Bible says if this and that. Okay, just imagine with me a day and a time where there is no Christianity. As, as we would understand and know, biblical, spirit-filled followers of Christ, born-again Christianity. Some have said that Christianity is really just one generation away from extinction. So the question is, when it comes to the Great Commission, in the lifetime of these believers, when they die, who's going to take up the mantle? Who will be those who ensure that the gospel goes forth? And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that somebody before you took up the mantle? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that somebody shared the gospel with you? Are you glad or not? Are you glad or not? Because right now, you're not acting glad. I'm just telling you, right now, you're not acting glad. Is anyone glad? Is anyone? Okay, Jeannie, we're going to give you a pass on this one, sweetheart, because nobody else is getting it. Is anybody glad that the gospel was shared into your life? Is anyone? Is anyone glad? Is anyone glad that you can live this life with hope? Is anyone glad that when you breathe your last or you watch a loved one breathe their last, that you have hope beyond this grave, even though it can be hard to understand? Is anyone glad? So in that sense, we have to believe that we have a role in this. He says in verse 18, Jesus came up, He spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Many believe, many believe that Jesus acquires this authority through the cross and through the resurrection. You say, wait a minute, I thought Jesus always had the authority but when you think about it, Jesus lived a submitted life. He lived a submitted life to the Father. So that whatever the Father did, as He abided in the Father, He trusted the Father's leadership in His life. So He didn't take authority Himself, if you will. He didn't take initiative Himself, if you will. But He followed the Father. He lived a submitted life to the Father. He abided in the Father. 
And because He abided in the Father, you and I have the invitation and the opportunity to abide in Him. And many believe that it was through the cross and the resurrection that this authority comes to Him. So now He stands in the presence of the eleven and He reminds them, all authority has been given to me. And we understand that what's happening in the text as He prepares to leave. And in John 14, He gave the promise of the Holy Spirit who would be with them and in them forever. We get a sense that He is transferring and giving authority to these disciples. You say, what in the world is authority? Well, we know that Jesus promised to give them power. Is that not right? He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive what? You will receive dunamis. You will receive dynamite power. You will receive power. Power is the ability to do something. That's what power is. Power is the ability to do something. Authority is the right to do something. So Jesus just doesn't give to His followers the power to do what He's going to encourage us and give us the opportunity to do. He doesn't just give us the power to do it through His Spirit, but He gives us the right to do it. He gives us the authority to do it. We have the right authorized by Jesus Christ to take His love into this world. What are your credentials? I only have one set of credentials today. And it lies in a person and his name is Jesus. That's where my credentials are. My credentials are not in my education. They're not in my ability. They're not in my experience. They're not in the name over the church door. My credentials lie solely within the person of Jesus Christ. He's given to us the power and the authority to take his love into this world. Someone says, what right do you have to speak the love of Christ? The right that is given to me under God by Jesus himself. There is, I just wish happy y'all were excited as she was. And you're thinking, well, Jenny, if you just give me a second, I'm not throwing amen into you, right? There you go. This is interactive, okay? So you've been given the power. You've been given the authority. You're authorized as an ambassador of the kingdom of God to express and share His love. So it's understood that Jesus is conveying in transferring the authority that He has to us. And He says it's not just authority in heaven, but it's also authority on earth. Some of you think, well, yeah, I've got authority in heaven. It's so spiritual. But no, you have authority on earth. Listen to me, guys. In the middle school, in a few weeks, you have the authority to share the love of Christ. You have the power to do it. You have the authority to do it. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. What matters is what Jesus says, what God says. As you are His child, you have the authority. You have the power. You are equipped. You are equipped to make a difference. And it's time. 
It is time, it is time, it is time that so many of us stop playing games with our faith and we got serious. About running the play. High schoolers, you've been authorized. It's not so much a duty or an obligation as it is an act of compelling divine love in your life. Please hear that. There are going to be people who say that this thing called the Great Commission, and we haven't even got to the verbal imperative of the three participles, right? You've got to learn that next week. Well, you've got to come back. I mean, they teach you in preacher school. If you ever have a decent crowd, make it longer, maybe they'll come back. Just kidding, just kidding. I'm not smart enough to do that. But listen to me. This is not religious duty and obligation that you might get a, a plus by your name and a gold star at the end of the day or that you're going to get a bigger mansion in heaven. It's none of that. And even if you run all of that through Scripture, that is found empty and wanting in and of itself. Sometimes that's Americanized Christianity bleeding itself upon the Scripture, not the Scripture bleeding itself upon our lives. It's not religious duty or obligation that you might have the hope of heaven. It is opportunity, a divine compelling love in your life, not to get you to heaven, but because you have the promise and the hope of heaven. I wish we could just hold each other to this law and just encourage and compel because it's easy here but where it really makes the difference is there really believe that the human heart is wicked and sinful, if you really believe that there's hope for the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, if you really believe that your heart is going to match the heart of the Savior, and it does, you just got to let it out. Then what's going to happen is this. You, 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 you will find yourself thinking about different things. You'll find yourself valuing other things. You will find that conversations with your kids about the Lord mean so much more than conversations about other things. All the time is so precious. It is just so precious. It is just so precious. I'm going to have an 18-year-old or a 16-year-old this year. They're going to be gone before I know it. And by the way, something could happen. They might be gone even before. I would anticipate. I have no idea. We have no control. We have no control of life. All we have is what we have now. And could we not, could we not just hold each other to this 
and to the encouragement and the opportunity that we have. Now, how this thing plays out here is going to be all defined and wrapped up in those four words. And I promise you, it's not... i got to have a Phoenix. Sorry. And it's not... Hey, you just see it in the text, in English. It's really not. And the reason I tell you that is so important is because some of you would be out of it from the first word. Some of you would be out of it from the very first word if it truly is as you have it in your text as you see it today. You'd be out of it from the first word. You would be out of it from the first word. Because not everybody is called to go cross-culturally into those unreached people groups of the world. So if it's how you often have seen it or heard it interpreted, you'd be out of it from the first word. But I'm telling you, you're in it from every word. And those four words make all the difference. So don't you want to come back and hear the rest of it? I want you to invite you to stand with us today. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.